0: René Descartes' arguments for the existence of God and his discussions of the nature of God are just as important for the entire Cartesian project as is the more famous "Cogito," the "I think, therefore I am" line and insight that he has. Why is this? Well, he's going to use the nature of God and the existence of God as a linchpin in the entire rest of his argument. In fact. In in both the discourse and the meditations, that's the next thing that he's going to discuss after he explores the, the nature of the human being as a thinking thing. And why does he do that? Because he needs the idea of God as a perfect being, a being possessed of all perfections in order to get the rest of his project off the ground. So it's very important when we're looking at the discourse to examine the two arguments that Descartes provides and to look at the nature of these different attributes or qualities, or as he's going to call them, perfections. Now, he provides two distinct arguments, And one thing that you can say about both of the arguments is that they work on the basis of considering our ideas. So one of them is labeled explicitly as an ontological argument, not the term that Descartes himself uses. That is a later term. And it's similar to earlier versions of that, as you can find them in in Anselm and Thomas Aquinas put forth by Anselm, rejected by Thomas Aquinas. The other one has to do with an idea as well. And both of them work by not looking at the world as such, but looking within our minds and considering the very nature of those ideas. So let's start with the first one because that's the one he brings up before the other one. And you could say he's doing this in the absence of any other proof. Whereas the ontological one, he's bringing this up as sort of a secondary proof. So let's follow through how this works. I've put the bare bones of it here, but we we have an entire passage in which he goes through it. So let's pay attention to the text. So he says that he wanted to look for the source from which he'd learned to think of something more perfect than himself he knows that he is lacking certain perfections if he didn't lack perfections then for example he wouldn't be in doubt because to doubt to waver between ideas or to not be able to commit to them entirely is an imperfection a lack of being perfected and we should probably pause for a moment when Descartes is using this term perfection we often tend to think of it in terms of an external criteria that we impose there's an earlier notion of this that comes from ancient philosophy, where the perfection of something is reaching the highest point of its development. And there were indeed a lot of uh, arguments where you know perfection sort of goes downward. And Descartes is relying on something rather similar to that. So he's asking this question, all right, I've got an idea of something more perfect than myself, because as soon as I start hearing that phrase or thinking about it, I've got that idea in my mind. Where did that come from? Did I get that the way I have with, say, my idea of light or solid substance from sense perception? I wouldn't get anything like that from ideas derived from the world. He says, those aren't really that big of a problem. Maybe those are illusory. Maybe they actually do refer to something outside of myself. We're not going to worry about that right now. Where did this idea of something higher than myself come from, a, a perfect being? He says, it can't come from myself. Why not? Well, if I could produce this own idea within myself, then I would actually know what it is to be perfect. I would just make myself perfect, right? And, and then it would be kind of a moot point. So it's not coming from me. He says it's manifestly impossible that, you know, it could come from myself. And then it also can't come from nothing. You can't get anything from nothing. And the word that he uses here is neant non-being. The idea of perfection has to come from something, from somewhere. So he, he says, it's no less contradictory than that the more perfect should proceed from and depend on the less perfect than that something should proceed from nothing. So where could this idea be coming from? He goes on, he says, there remains only one possibility. This idea had been put within me and planted within my mind, as he says, by a nature which was truly more perfect than mine. Now you could say at that point, if he had only said that, Maybe it comes from a being that's more perfect than me, but not completely perfect. So Descartes goes on here and he clinches this argument by saying that one which even had in itself all the perfections of which I could have any idea. So if we're thinking about perfection, and this is, this is a, for us, a continual process. We don't automatically have the idea fully fledged, fully spelled out of what a perfect being would have. That's going to have these, these attributes that we'll talk about in just a moment. As we do this, as we think about what these attributes would be, we realize, according to Descartes, that this idea is indeed of something like a God. And where could that idea have come from? We've already eliminated the other possibilities. It must have come from God. Now, could it have come from God if God didn't exist? No. Therefore, God exists. So this is one argument, and notice that, again, no appeal to the outside world. You might say, well, therefore, it is an ontological argument. Depends on how you define ontological arguments. Strictly speaking, this is not an ontological argument. It's an argument about a certain kind of causality. So in a way, it's similar to cosmological arguments if we're talking about, you know, the philosophy of religion. But cosmological arguments talk about the cosmos, the universe, and causality operating here. We're looking at causality operating within the realm of our ideas. So that's the first argument. The second argument is definitely an ontological argument. That is, it's an argument that proceeds just on the basis of the idea of God And then unpack something about that idea that says that existence must necessarily belong to whatever that thing is that the idea corresponds to. Here, Descartes gives, you might say, less of a a proof. One of the things that's going on here is an assumption that you're actually looking at these ideas. So he says, if I look at, for example, a triangle, he says, I called to mind the object of study of geometers, talks a little. Bit about space and stuff like that. And then he says, I observe that the great certainty which everybody attributes to geometry is based only on the fact that these proofs are conceived of as incontrovertible, as not being able to be refuted. So, let's think about triangles for a moment. He says, if a triangle exists, you can prove that it necessarily has 180 degrees between the three angles. The way that it's expressed here, it's three angles were equal to two right angles. So, you know, two 90s, 180 degrees. Now, of course, you can object, well, what about non-Euclidean geometry? Okay, well, that wasn't in, in Descartes' mind at the time. And I'm sure he would have other things that he could bring up. Similarly, dealing with geometry and hypotheticals. And he says, now this doesn't get you that far, because maybe there's no triangles in existence. All we know is that if a triangle exists, then it necessarily has these properties, right? But it doesn't tell you that a triangle actually does exist in reality. So what about God? Descartes says, if you consider the idea of God or of a perfect being, then you realize that among those perfections, is existence. It is less perfect to not exist than it is to exist, or to, if you prefer, to have being than not to have being. So therefore, as soon as you consider the idea of God and you're actually thinking it through, you must realize that different from the triangle, which might not exist, God or the, this perfect being necessarily exists. There is no Option. There is no alternative to this. So a perfect being must exist in reality. This is rather similar to Anselm's argument in how it's constructed. It's working off of somewhat different ideas, but it is an ontological argument in that respect. And we're not going to go into criticism of those here. There's plenty of discussions of that. Instead, let's talk about what Descartes gets out of this. So we've got God existing through one of two proofs. What is God? What is a a perfect being? So Descartes tells us about a number of different interesting qualities. And he says, listen, if if you want to know what a perfect being is, just think about what it is to be perfect. What are the different qualities that go into being perfect? And you can do this in a positive way. You can also do it in a negative way. You can look at yourself and say, well, you're definitely not perfect. How are you imperfect? What would it be better for you to be like? So for example, he says that God does not doubt, right? I doubt because I don't know things And that would go sort of to the omniscience thing If I knew everything, I wouldn't doubt So he says, there's no doubt, there's no inconstancy There's no sadness and such things in God Given that I would be glad to be free of them He also tells us a a few other things So the ones that he brings up at the start are infinite God is not limited, that's what infinite means, right? Eternal. God exists throughout all time, perhaps even surpassing time, depending on how you conceive of time. There is no time, you could say, in which the perfect being does not exist. Unchanging. To experience passions like sadness or things like that would be a change. There's other ways in which God is going to be unchanging as well. Omniscient. Well, you know, if you were to lack any knowledge, then you wouldn't be perfect. Like Descartes says, I lack knowledge. That's why I doubt. Therefore, I know I'm not perfect. He brings up uh, existence, of course, in the proof, and he also brings up simplicity. And here he has a, a very important set of remarks. He says, I had ideas of many corporeal things in the realm of the sensory. Even if I were to suppose I was dreaming and everything I saw was false, I could not deny the ideas were really in my thought right i recognized that in my own case the nature of the intellect is distinct from the nature of the body and considering all composition is evidence of dependence and that dependence is a defect the opposite of perfection i concluded that god could not be a composite thing god can only be one thing this is what it means to be perfectly simple god doesn't have a, a mind and a body the way that we do what about goodness This is going to be very important because Descartes will use the perfect goodness of God to argue that we can rely upon, not necessarily all of our sensory experience, but we can rely upon an important principle that everything that we perceive clearly and distinctly, is in fact true. Why? Because God would not set things up both within the world and within us in such a way as to deceive us. Now, why wouldn't God do that? Why couldn't God, say, be testing us or messing around with us? Because that would contradict the very nature of a perfect being. We would do that sort of thing, but that's a sign of how screwed up we are. God doesn't do that sort of thing. Therefore, we're going to be able to rely not only on the veracity of God, but also on that key principle of clear and distinct ideas and that there is some sort of order for us to find in the physical universe. So Descartes is really drawing a lot more than just the argument that, well, God exists, so accept that there's a God. He's using this as a key part of his entire master project. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page.